The Money Podcast with your hosts, Justin Harrison and David Bester. Money, 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 money. Let's talk about money. Today we are joined by one of South Africa's true innovators, a man of many accolades who has had his hand in many companies like Mixit, F&B, Rain, to name but a few. He's also served on the board of multiple companies, including the JSE. These days, however, he leans into startups through his venture capital firm, and he is passionate about startups and disruptive innovation. Michael Yordan, welcome to The Money Podcast. It's so kind of you to have me. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're in a beautiful setting. We're out here in the Western Cape. For me as a Durban boy, it's a real privilege to be here. So thank you very much for having us in this beautiful setting. Thanks for visiting us. Uh, We are a beautiful part of Africa. We hope to have more foreign visitors. Yeah. Um, South Africa is a place that can produce excellence, and so it is in the Cape Winelands. So hopefully after this podcast, you can enjoy some of our excellent produce, the wine. Let's hope so. And emphasis on after the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's lean into your career a little. How would you sum up your career for somebody who doesn't know that much about you? And what is the single greatest lesson you've taken out of your career so far? I think a lot of people who do incredibly well in life neglect to point out what a role luck has placed. Uh, People tend to overemphasize everything they did, how hard they worked, and not understanding that we're all incredibly privileged. Privileged where you were born, what parents Mm -hmm. you had, what schooling you had, what education you had, and then ultimately the opportunities that were placed in front of you because of the people that you came into contact with. Mm. So if you ask me what the single big thing is, it's people. Mm. I would say that your success in life depends on the people who you surround yourself with. Mm. Now, clearly there's family and you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And Mm. in business, you can choose who's there with you. Mm. So the single biggest differentiator between great, mediocre and bad leaders is simply the people with whom they surround themselves with. Mm. They've got to be people who are better than you, people that challenge you. And people that ultimately, you know, after you've had all the discussions, you can empower so that they get on with it and do well. And that very simply has been kind of my secret. If it's a secret, I'm I'm disclosing it now, is other people, surrounding yourself with great other people and letting them get on with it. And then incredible things can happen to you. And would you say this goes all the way back to your childhood? I mean, I I know that you uh, spent some time in the Navy. Obviously, Navy focuses you on teamwork. Um, You don't have a choice, really. Uh, Would you say it goes back to those days? Look, even earlier, I mean, I loved entrepreneurship. Mm. I loved the whole concept that you can create something out of nothing, that you can produce something that the market wants and the market will pay you for it. Mm. I mean, the whole concept is not about a zero-sum game. It's not Mm. about redividing an existing pie. It's about growing it. Mm. And, you know, the quicker you realize that as a youngster or as an individual, the the better it is for you. Mm. If you want to do really well in life, it's ultimately not just going to be a salary. It's going to be to be entrepreneurial and to create something. Mm. But that process of creation is an incredible thing because you really are creating something out of nothing from zero yes. to one. If you can create a market of people that are willing to pay for something. Now, I started as a very young boy. One of the first things I learned was about compound interest. It's the eighth wonder, eighth of, wonder the of the world. world. And, you know, whatever you do in the beginning, if you can keep on compounding, mm. can be quite incredible. And I looked for a very practical example as a schoolboy, and I found rabbits, you know, breed like rabbits. You all know the expression. And I started breeding rabbits. So there was a local pet store. They had a need for rabbits. I got a pair. They started breeding. The input costs, 
uh, I got from the grocery store nearby, which is all the vegetables that they threw away. I could go there with my bicycle, collect it every day, feed my rabbits and produce it uh, to that store. So it was something very profound, compound interest put into very like, basic practice, breeding of rabbits. And from there on, a whole entrepreneurial career kind of developed. Mm. But it's as simple as that. Mm. Um, and there are hundreds of these opportunities available for everybody in South Africa today. Mm. You just have to go for it. And I think this is something we talk about a lot. We talk about um, entrepreneurs are ultimately problem solvers, and if you can solve problems, you're going to have a you're going to have a way to make a living. But you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs we speak to talk about the fact that money is almost a byproduct of yep. going out there and looking to make a difference. And uh, it's incredible when you look at entrepreneurship. The thing that binds so many entrepreneurs together is this desire to make an impact in the world, to leave the world a better place than they found it. And I think it's very profound. Yeah, look, I completely agree with that. I think if you if you start out in business and your goal is only or just or as a priority to make money, mm. that's completely wrong. You've got to be obsessed with solving some type of problem mm. or bringing some type of solution to some type of situation mm. uh, that you feel passionate about. And then, you know, if, if you do it well, money, wealth can be the end product of that. But the true satisfaction is not in that. It, it, it really is in, in solving the problem you see in front of you and you're quite right we live in a nation that has a lot of problems mm. but if you can find a business solution to that problem mm. that's an incredibly empowering way to live of course you are justified in pointing fingers and keep on saying they should they should they should they should fix us they should fix the bottles they should mm. fix the electricity of course you are right i'm not saying you're wrong mm. but entrepreneurs will say how can i find a way to you know, contribute to education and maybe do it in such a way that people are willing to pay for it and then I've got a sustainable business that can reinvest mm. and keep on doing it better. Mm. Or fill the potholes but in the process get PR value for my company or sell solar solutions to people and it's actually a lower cost of electricity and now they have electricity and it happens to be green. Mm. So, so you can either see everything as a problem or you can say what is the commercial solution towards it and in that sense South Africa is excellent. We have lots of problems and we have lots of entrepreneurs seeking solutions. We've had a lot of people on the podcast and all of them have said the same thing. So in the first world or in developed countries then there's a lot of people fighting over the same stuff right but in South Africa we've got a lot of problems to fix and that creates obviously a lot of opportunity as well right. So I really think there's something about our ethos of South Africans that we are friendly on the one hand, but that we are problem solvers. I mean, mm. Afrikaans saying a market plan happens yeah. to be one of them. But generally, we want to solve problems. We mm. encounter problems in our everyday life and we say, what is the way around it, over it, mm. etc. And that essentially is entrepreneurialism. So um, I think it's something that you will find all over the world is that there's a certain ethos yes, among yes. entrepreneurs that they want to solve it. I think we happen to have a disproportionate share of it. And I also happen to think that one of the ways um, is actually just for government to move out of the way and let entrepreneurs solve the problems, whether it's hospitals that are overcrowded, <laughs> roads that need to be built, dams that need to be built, power that needs to be supplied privately, education, security, etc. They are private sector solutions for all the problems South Africa has. I mean, we've spoken about this extensively mm. and, and, you know, it's, it's something we are unashamedly uh, promoting. I think we have a problem in South Africa when it comes to governance in the sense that government often makes the rules, referees the game, and then participates in the game. And that often is what leads to our downfall. We need a strong business sector that has got good governance. 
and that governance needs to be separate from the people playing in the game and i think this is where ultimately we all want to see it heading and i think those of us who are strong in the entrepreneurial space all agree that better governance leads to better business so let's just take a macro example now all the ports in south africa which are crucial for exports mm. are run owned and managed by government mm -hmm. if you were to only create one port that is privately owned and you saw the productivity that would were to come from that mm. i think that would create a powerful uh, champion challenger model yes. and then you could put the others to the test the same would apply to the railways yep. power etc yep. so i think conceptually that's all fair and again this is one of those things where essentially now i'm pointing fingers mm. but you could yeah. also say that quite recently the cap for producing your own power without getting regulatory approval was increased to 100 megawatts mm -hmm. now i'm a little bit disappointed in the private sector that that hasn't been taken up more aggressively mm -hmm. here's an opportunity to produce your own power solar power mm -hmm. which is cheaper than escom power mm -hmm. if you do it during the day mm -hmm. if you're a business operating during the day and the private sector hasn't responded with the gusto that it could have mm. so i'm just using the example to say it's not all about government every now and then these opportunities are created and entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial existing businesses could probably do more yes. to utilize the opportunities that do present themselves yes. now I'm, I'm in total agreement with you and you know i think that that even extends to the social aspects that are going on in our country you know we talk about socially responsible capitalism often on this podcast, which to some people is a horrific concept. Mm. But I think we have a beautiful place in South Africa where we understand our social responsibility that maybe a lot of the world misses because of our past. We understand the history. We understand the importance of inclusive communities and building those inclusive communities. And so I think what you're saying is, you know, essentially very true. Private sector has to take responsibilities in all spheres. We can't just simply point the finger at government. I think it's a very relevant conversation. Yeah, I, obviously, I agree with you agreeing with me, um, but we, we have so many opportunities and some of it mm. doesn't come from ESG criteria <laughs> of investors and they don't come from ethic classes in MBAs. Yep. They come from the heart. They come from people who see the yep. problems around them, yep. that care about society, that care about South Africa, yep. that want to make it a better place and then get on with it and do it. And those are the people that inspire me those yep. are as a venture capitalist the people that i have mm. invested in not so much the concepts the ideas but in the people who have a track record of mm. execution capability mm. or people who just get on with it and do it and 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 any group of people you will find those individuals yeah and the more of them you have the better and if you can support them and sometimes they need capital and sometimes they need moral support mm. it's amazing what can happen in a society it's mm. back to people again it's all about choosing and backing the right people yeah yeah, so Michael, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier and you personally. So you, you were talking about the rabbit breeding you did when you, were, when you were younger, right? So I want to know, when it comes to money and wealth, was this something you always focused on? And what was your earliest um, memory of wanting to create that? You know, at the risk of making it sound like too simple, it's a little bit of a game, right? It's like you play TV games and, you know, in those days it was very simple TV games like ping pong or space invaders and so on. And you see the score going up and you have a certain amount yeah. of lives and so on. And the capitalist game is similar. You know, you start a venture and you can actually have more money and less money and so on. So, I mean, in retrospect, like breeding rabbits is not a big thing, but it teaches you the basics of cashing cash out mm. of your input costs, which can now 
uh, able to make zero by just cycling to the store of rabbits that bred very fast and so on. And it taught me some of the basics of business. Mm -hmm. So if I could give advice to youngsters, I would say start your own business as soon as possible. And I say that even if that business were to fail, because I think what you learn in the process is incredibly instructive. Mm. So much more so than all the theoretical knowledge that mm. is important that you can at school, but it's theoretical or at university, or even when you go for your first job afterwards. Starting a business and suddenly having to be an expert in everything from finance to HR, to marketing, to logistics, to bookkeeping, to accounting, is an incredible schooling. So mm. to anyone listening out there, just start a business, even if it is on the side, because it's one of the most instructive things that you will be doing. Yeah, I always say that, um, not like I look like a bodybuilder at all, but if you want to become a bodybuilder, you can read as many books as you like. If you don't actually go to the gym, well, nothing's really going to happen, right? So you need to, what you're talking about is you need to have that experience, you need to gain that experience, because that's actually how you learn in the end of the day. Yeah, so for youngsters, start a business, take the risk. Mm. In fact, if I had to go back to my younger self or if I had been asked to like, speak to matriculants today, um, they taught us so many things at school that were good, you know, integrity and teamwork and loyalty mm. and, mm. you know, whatever the motto's were. Nowhere ever did anyone say, take risks, take more risks. The quality of your life is completely dependent on your ability to take risks. Mm. The, the more risks you take, there'll be downsides too, but the yeah. quality of your life will improve. The, and avoid the, mistakes. <laughs> yeah, if you can avoid mistakes, but, you, but the risk means you're gonna make mistakes, right? You're yeah. gonna try and avoid stupid mistakes, but you know, sometimes things are gonna go right and sometimes they're gonna go wrong. But take more risks, and that's what youngsters should do. But I mean, you know, the, the people listening to this podcast may be wide and varied. It could be that there are people that are older now and have retired, mm -hmm. but they too, instead of playing golf three times a week, could take some of their pension funds and invest it in startups, invest mm -hmm. it in companies mm -hmm. where they could mentor people and mm -hmm. give them some of the advice that they learned over the ages. I find that far more liberating, far more energizing mm -hmm. than just sitting back and looking at what listed markets have done and again, pointing fingers at the environment get involved, do something. It's energizing you, surrounding yourself with people who actually give you feedback, which, which is a far more exciting way to live the world. And you're part of creating solutions. Um, I think that's the way to live in the first instance. But ultimately, it's also a very good way to make money or to grow wealth. But mm -hmm. it's a secondary output if you can solve the problems well. Michael, tell me something. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made with money? Um, I, I think... I've tried to follow the basic disciplines, which first of all is saving. Mm. Um, and obviously, if you look back now, you think there are times you could have saved more and you could have invested in opportunities that you bypassed. So I would say my biggest mistakes are actually not the ones where I invested and it went to zero, and there have been plenty of those. It's the times where I was too timid to follow opportunities that were in front of me. Sometimes mm -hmm. the opportunities where at that moment seem I don't know, the property is too expensive or this business um, may not work out. And you look back at it in hindsight and you go, if only I had invested then, if only I had followed kind of what my gut wanted. It comes back to this thing of assuming risk, mm. you know, take more risks. I think we program to worry so much about the downside. I, I'm a banker, so I'm inherently conservative and I'm <laughs> compliance minded and I look at the downside. But sometimes we focus on the downside mm. way too much. and. The interesting way to think about life as a venture capitalist is to think of what something could be if it is successful. And then if you take your investments and you spread them wide enough, if you diversified enough, then you actually lower the risk so much that you can take 
10 big bets yes. rather than take all, all of these conservative bets. So definitely if I look back at my life, it's all the risks that I didn't take. You it's know. so interesting you mention that because, you know, we, we often talk about the psychology of money and we talk about how the language that is used around you as a kid shapes your reality in the future. And we've been conditioned to look at money a certain way and specifically risk. And risk in particular is something we taught to run from. It is in everything in our lives, from the mm. boogeyman we taught, yeah. you know, it's, it's ingrained in us yeah. to avoid risk. And the biggest risk of all, in my humble opinion, is not opinion, taking any risk. Is not taking risk. And, you know, I think risk is where the growth lies, mm. risk is where the opportunity lies. Mm. And, you know, every great person mm. I've ever met has risked something to gain something. But it's so important to take smart risks. Yes. Yeah, so risk doesn't mean investing in an unknown person you don't really know <laughs> and could be a crook. Just throwing some money at crypto and then everything will go well. <laughs> or, or an industry that you know nothing about. Yep. You know, Make yourself as smart as possible about yes. it. And then take the risk that you think the world is going to go in a certain direction. Yes. So know what you do. Yes. And guess what? It's fun doing that. It's fun finding... It's the pleasure of finding things out. Mining. Of mining. So say, so let's say you, you're going to have 10 different investments in 10 different industries. Mm. There's no better way of learning about an industry than by actually investing in it and finding out, you know, what are the rules of that game? They're very different to what you think they are or what journalists would portray them as or textbooks. Mm. There's nothing like the real um, of, of having skin in the game and being part of the game to understand how it really works. So take smart risks, not stupid risks, take smart risks. Mm. And yes, you're quite right. We're taught to run away from risk, not to embrace them. But embracing smart risks is absolutely the way to create the future. No, for sure. So, Michael, you have done a lot of investments. Um, you have allocated a lot of capital like in your uh, career. Um, I want to know what's the best decision you have made when it comes to money? It's always around people. It's always choosing people who you can partner with. And those people are the ones where essentially you, you uh, do business on a handshake basis. You look each other in the eye and you say, we're going to do this right. Let's go on with, get on with it. You never, ever look back at an agreement if you happen to sign one, which you may want to do for good order because things change along the time. And the worst decisions have been where you deal with people where, you know, you can't trust them and, and they mm. change along the line. And obviously, how do you learn this? You learn it by sometimes being disappointed and even knowing that in the future you may well be disappointed. But, but the best ones have always been where you partner with people. In my case, it's always been people who are smarter than me, who are better than me, who have more energy than me. Um, and, you know, I, I just try and be a good, good partner to all of them. Yeah, and I mean, when it comes to venture capital, that's a, that's a big part of the success, right? Or finding these, these gems is investing it in the right people, right? Yeah. So I'm a nerd or a geek, whatever word you want to use, <laughs> which means I love ideas, I love um, reading a lot, I like theories, I like to understand where the future is going. Mm -hmm. But I've learned that the ideas are not nearly as important as the people who believe in them and are trying to execute them. Mm -hmm. And a track record of execution is extremely important. So mm -hmm. again, it comes back to people, investing in people or with people or alongside people that actually have a track record of executing some type of alternative future. Typically, these individuals live in the future in other words their mindsets on the future quite often not only in their own discipline but in some way in, in which they anticipate the world is going to be in five years time mm -hmm. and i find that incredibly exciting i heard this description recently about being nostalgic about the future 
So some of these people are nostalgic about the future because they know the future can be so much better than what we have today, which is the opposite of kind of the, the pessimism we see everywhere in the world. So once again, you surround yourself with people who are better than you, that are living in the future, that are good at execution, and that think that there's a better future ahead. And um, in the process, you create better solutions and you can create wealth. What motivates you when your back is up against the wall, when, when things are not going well? You know, I, I think like most people in the world, you've seen that there are ways out of difficult situations. You know, whether it's the Springboks that are trailing in a rugby game and manage to score that intercept try, mm. um, or, you know, the cricket team that hits a few sixes in the last over. I've, I've seen in life that people, when challenged, can actually do incredible things uh, when they have focus and self-belief. So it's, it's first of all, knowing that you can snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, mm. um, particularly if you surround yourself with the right type of people. But it's also knowing that some of the things that spell defeat are not going to kill you, that you can survive and live another day. So, mm. so looking further ahead in the future. Mm. Um, so it helps to, if you can, withdraw yourself from just your immediate surroundings and look at something from a slightly broader view. Mm. which is not just your surround, maybe South Africa, maybe the world, maybe even, you know, broader than that. And, and just putting things into context. And then you tend to calm down and just focus on the task at hand and deliver it well. I mean, I used a rugby analogy earlier. I recently read in a book, so All Black Richie McCaw, saying that even in the few seconds, in, you know, when the whistle is blown, they even meditate on the field. Few people know that in a full-on rugby no, I game. I know that. So you kind of make the world stand still. You go back and say, what is my role in this? What is our game plan? What can we do about it? And it's one of the reasons why they're one of the most successful sports teams in the world. So it's a calm of just creating context and focusing on what you can do to improve the situation that pulls you through. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the reasons why I love big wave surfing is for that exact reason. The only way you survive is by being very calm in the face of total chaos. Yeah. Your panic really helps. It serves nothing. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, it does the opposite. <laughs> Look, it's one of the lessons that sports teaches us. Mm. Um, I think big wave surfing is a great example, and, and obviously there are quite a few more. But any form of sports teaches you focus, mm. calm, um, you've got to exclude everything else. It also involves a certain amount of discomfort and pain with mm. all the enjoyment that comes with it. Yep. Um, and the certain knowledge that it also comes to an end. However tough it is doing that marathon, mm -hmm. it's going to come to an end. So it teaches you incredibly valuable life lessons. And I think also sometimes the journey to the win is often greater than the actual win itself, right? Yeah. So the win is nice, but the journey is often... So the journey is everything, right? Even now as we're talking, living in the moment, being in the now, being here now, mm. uh, that, that's a very important thing. So you can mm. live in the past and you can reminisce about the past, mm. or you can postpone everything until the future, but the joy of life is, is in the now. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I want to know, you talk about people a lot you say that you want to surround yourself with the best kind of people so in your your own journey or your observation around other people what what would you say is the the best skill set in order to make money so it's about the attitude right skills are super important but some of the smartest people i know happen to be in academia mm. um, and they're super interesting again i'm a nerd or a geek myself mm. but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be effective in the real world of effecting or implementing change 
doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be effective in creating wealth for yourself. So the attitude that people have that are problem solvers that say, I can operate in a team, I can understand that this is complex and interdisciplinary, and I think that I can you know, do the hard work, whatever it requires to solve that problem, those are the ones that excite me. Typically, I have to tell you that these people are kind of square pegs in round holes. They are, maybe the word difficult is the wrong word to use, but they, they, they don't just want to fit in with society. They really want to get on. They've got an idea of what needs to be solved and they want to get on with it. So if, if you can find people with that type of attitude, which is come what may, I'm going to solve this problem, you want to hitch a ride with them. A lot of entrepreneurs would admit that if they look back of what it took to get them where they've ended up, had they known how difficult it would be, probably wouldn't repeat the journey, <laughs> right? Story. But they started and took the first step and got on with it and ended up being successful. And they're probably very grateful of, of where they are in the end. But it's that attitude of getting up and getting going, of hustling, of you know, building, of trying Persistence to improve things. Persistence sterilizes so. resistance. Keep yeah. going, keep pushing, keep going, keep pushing. I mean, we, we were talking to uh, Brian Mitchell the other day. And we're looking back on his boxing career and he said, you know, it just came back to every single time getting back off the mat, getting back off the mat. And that's what makes the difference. And I think entrepreneurship is a very similar journey. I think that's why we draw parallels with rugby often in in terms of business and, and finance. And I think it's something that, especially right now, let's be honest, it's a tough time out there economically for people. This too will pass. The storm mm. will pass. Yeah. It's a cycle. Yeah. People need and, to keep their heads and, down. And sport is a great metaphor. Yeah. And one of the things that sport also shows us is that people are actually inherently competitive. Mm. I mean, if you look at the stadium, you know, mm. people support their team and, and they shout mm. and they, you know, demonstrate and they dance when they score a try or achieve points. So, so people are inherently competitive. Mm. Uh, but it's that competitiveness that you also want to unleash in other situations, mm. not just on the Saturday for the 80 minutes that you're going to watch your team, but you know you can be as competitive in solving the problems that are inherently around you. So I think you can learn so much from sport, from the sacrifice it takes, mm. um, to the discipline, to the getting up. You know, when you're down, you're not not, not always mm. going to be ahead. But apply that to real life. Don't just sit at your TV and watch your sports team. Think of the motivation that you got there and how you yep. can use that same motivation, something in real life. We come back to South Africa. I mean, South Africans love sport, you know, yep. across the board. I so wish you could bottle that excitement and say, mm. let's get equally excited about solving, let's say, the education problem yes. in South Africa. What if we took how excited South Africans are about their sports teams winning, said we want equal academic results out of our schools? for example, you know, mm. wouldn't that be amazing? So, so you've got to translate the insights out of sports into the other real-life disciplines. So I hope I don't get you into too much trouble with this question, but uh, let's talk about friends and family a little bit. Yeah. As your career has developed, as you've achieved incredible success, how have those relationship dynamics changed, and are there any lessons there for youngsters on their way up? You know, it, it's not possible to have a balanced life. Okay, I think a lot of people say no, they want to have this balanced life. They want to do really well in their corporate life, they want to have a great family life, they want to have all their friends and so on. You've got to make trade-offs. It's yeah. not possible to become, I don't know, the world's number one tennis player or golf player or, or choose any of the disciplines yeah. and to say I also have a balanced life. I also eat what I want, I drink what I want, I party, I have friends, I have mates and so on. It, it really, yeah. you've got to choose what's important to you. So it's important to choose where you can, your family, your partners, 
people that understand or at least have a discussion with them to say that, you know, here's what I'm going to do. Because otherwise, it's very, very hard. Otherwise, you're out there on your own and, you know, those things aren't going to work out. So, you say you don't want to get into trouble. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that as I look back now, that I wish I'd spent more time with my friends and my family. But it would not have been possible to achieve what I had achieved if I couldn't work the 10 or 12 hours a day. You know, you, you really had to put those things in because competition out there is tough mm-hmm. and to get ahead of the game, you've got to put in the hours. It's not all just about hours. It, you know, it's ultimately about quality and value add, but it comes from, from putting in the extra effort and making those trade-offs. So look, you've, you've had an incredible career. I mean, you, we, we're sitting at the moment in one of the most beautiful spots at Western Cape, but what if you lost everything? What if everything is gone? Um, you can't utilize your contacts. How would you... Get back up on your feet again. Yeah, look, what I don't want to be is really old and dependent on other people. For me, that would be very tough. I wouldn't want to go out there begging, etc. But I generally have come to the conclusion that many of the things that you can acquire throughout life lose their allure once you have them. And that you realize they are not that important in making you truly happy. So, yes, you can buy, I don't know, a bigger car, a bigger house. Some people do boats, whatever they are. But it's, it's a fool's errand to think that they will truly bring you luck. The, the, the basic things you need in life are quite basic. You need a roof over your head. You need um, a family, you know, kids running around you and you know, laughing and making jokes at your expense. You need a meal and um, you need a nice environment that doesn't have to belong to you to, I don't know, go and walk around the sea, etc. So, so um, I, I've truly learned that by having physical possessions, they bring a lot of responsibilities. And, and they Makes don't, your life more complicated. And they make your life more complicated. <laughs> and they don't immediately bring you the happiness that people just think they have. You see, I think what's happened in our market-based society is that you, we are programmed to want more. Mm. And that is probably quite a good thing if you have nothing. But we, all, we don't realize so well that when you have enough, that you don't need that much more. We think if you have even more and even more, you'll get happy and happy. And that definitely isn't the case. So, so what I can say is that if everything were to disappear tomorrow or most of everything and so on, I'm in a sense quite lackadaisical about that and, and saying like what, what I've learned is that the most important things in life are actually human relationships and quite a few basic things in life. Food and shelter, yes, of course, but... It, needn't be that much what gets you is relative deprivation if you think that you should have what other people are having but there's no answering that because you know you can have a really 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 big boat there will always be a bigger boat you can have a big house or be a big house and a prettier thing you're just going to always be unhappy always be chasing it yeah. you know it's 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 such a great answer and i think there's a deep level of introspection that comes with that understanding we talk about the difference of being rich and being wealthy. You know, rich is the wristwatch on your arm in the car you drive. And then wealth is not always relative to the amount of money in your bank account. It's, it's the things that money can't buy. You know, it's the sun on your back uh, during a winter's day. You know, it's the small little things. And I think you have to walk a certain journey to understand that. And uh, it's something we preach very deeply in our lessons to people is, mm. is understanding what it is that you really want to acquire. Because money alone is a very empty goal. You have to seek true wealth. And that, that's an inner journey, you know. And it's something that 
I think South Africa deeply needs to hear because we are still, I feel, in our journey uh, towards where we're going, still very early on in terms of our emotional understanding of what it is we really want. So, so some of the things are hard, right? Some of the lessons you need to learn in life are hard. Mm-hmm. And one of them, for example, is how important health is. Mm-hmm. So you talk about wealth, but health trumps wealth anytime. Yep. Yep. You know, you can be very wealthy but sick, or you can be very healthy and poor. I choose healthy and poor, right? Yep. And to do something about your health is actually not rocket science, but it mm-hmm. can be hard. In other words, you've got to train and be fit. That can be hard, depending on the way you're looking. And you've got to eat healthy food. Mm-hmm. But somehow we default to fast foods, unhealthy foods. Somehow we default to sitting on the couch and mm-hmm. you know, changing the TV with a remote, etc. Mm-hmm. That would, for me, be a far greater lesson to impart, that you can immediately start doing something about your health, mm-hmm. even though it's hard. And that will mean so much more to you than winning the lotto. I agree with you. Now, tell me quickly, if you had to stand up on a podium and speak to the whole of South Africa and give them one piece of financial advice, what would it be? Plant vegetables. Plant vegetables? Yeah. That's interesting. You know, people go and they protest against, I don't know, ETOLs and not getting jobs and that government should do certain things. If you think about it, you have free time. If you plant your own vegetables and you water them, you don't have to pay tax on it. You don't have to pay VAT on it. It's completely your own time that you put in in your own little garden, and you can consume it yourself. You don't have food miles. You don't have pollution. It is carbon neutral. And it's the cheapest possible thing you can do. I mean, those seeds cost you nearly nothing, and it's a little bit of extra effort. So it's obviously also a metaphor for something bigger. So it doesn't just have to be vegetables. It can be that you plant an avo tree that takes a little bit longer, or you start your own business, or you start reading and you're educating yourself about something. But the nice thing about vegetables, it's pretty immediate. You know, you can plant lettuce seeds or carrot seeds now. In a couple of months' time, you could be eating them. So start there. Start small. Start with something that's completely achievable, planting your own vegetables, enjoying it, and the sky's the limit. That's that. pretty amazing. So, so I always look back at my, uh, my father-in-law. He's a farmer, but he planted these pecanut trees. And these trees takes about eight years before they start producing, right? So they have to water these things. They have to look after it. They have to employ people to look after it. And it's, it's, it's an eight-year-long journey. However, we see all these youngsters these days. When we talk about investing, and on our YouTube channel, we do a lot of um, investing or um, stock investing. Um, we obviously um, look at stocks and tell people yeah. what we think about it. But anyway... All these people want like immediate gratification yep. and they believe investment should work out within like a, a month or two months. But if you look at a farmer, they water those things for about eight years before they even think about getting any kinds of returns. So the message is about delayed gratification. Yeah. So and there's a lot of evidence that says that success in life is actually completely dependent on your ability to delay gratification. Mm. I mean, you would have heard of the study about you know putting marshmallows in front of kids and saying if you yes, yes, don't eat it one. now you can get two and then they look on later in life and who's done well and so on but the ability to delay gratification that's going to do you well in sports it's going yep. to do well in life it's going to do in yep. relationships etc if you want everything immediately now you're probably going to get just that immediately now and, and you're going to forsake quite a bit in the future the nice thing about the vegetables and again i say it's a metaphor it's it, it's relatively quickly mm. and it can turn but in the process you learn those type of things that there is a reward for, for doing things in the long term it's the same with health you're not going to just get healthy or lose weight in one day mm. it, it's something that that you've got to continue small with progressive steps but it's more progressive it's incremental 
and then you're going to do you, plant the seeds. You're going to yeah. get healthy. Compound interest, but just on life, right? It's exactly <laughs> right. It's a form of compound interest. Love it. Well, Michael, listen, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the podcast. Um, I must tell you, you may be a self-professed nerd, but I don't think people see you that way. You're an inspiration to many South Africans across generations. I think you've done some incredible stuff for business in South Africa. And uh, we hope you're going to be around for a lot longer. I hope you're going to continue to dip your toes where they need to be dipped and, <laughs> and keep inspiring the younger generation. You really are hmm. one of the innovative thinkers in this country. And uh, we hope that you're going to gain a whole new audience through our podcast and that they'll continue to listen to you because you are an incredibly wise man. Thank you. That's so kind of you. Thank you for asking me all these questions. So just continue, take risks and plant vegetables. Thank you. Love it. <laughs> You've been listening to The Money Podcast. To get access to our future episodes, please subscribe to our podcast via your podcast app. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Global Money Academy.